Green Crow Inn, a novel by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kalman Friedman. Chapter 1. Welcome to the Green Crow. Ivor the Minstrel sang horribly, and that opinion wasn't just my own. After the first song, I felt doubts, perhaps my own tastes, those being informed by a life lived in capital Callahane, were too elevated, too refined to honestly appreciate the intonations of a rustic. Though I was young, I had already discovered the aesthetics of my urban home to carry more sophistication than those of other places, even places of such diverse people as these. Dwarves and men of every shade, age, and distinction seemed positively crammed into the little candlelit tavern that night. My assumptions began to change when I paused, mid-cleaning, cloth still in the mug I busily wiped, and peered over the bar at Sumi Kind. The usual chipperness of the dwarf woman showed signs of strain. Her smile faltered at every other missed note, even as she discussed drink orders with a pair of coastmen who had just walked in. When she came our way, her leather-booted feet daintily tapping across the flagstone floor of the common room, I stared until I had had her attention. I expected a bit of a wait as she presented her order to Kalka. Two pints of snowberry mead. The dwarf propped herself up on a breast rung at the base of the bar, mostly so she could see over it, and recited the order to the proprietor. And a windsboard. Deposit, asked Kalka. The innkeeper did not look up from the tab. Sumi winked and made a clicking sound with the corner of her mouth, a curious affirmation. Then she slid two clinking metal strips across the top of the polished brown bar. I winced, fearing the perfect patina might have been scratched. Finally, the little dwarf woman noticed me and grinned. I felt my spirits lift a little, as if her pretty charming smile had force. How's your first day, Torson? She asked in a sprightly voice. I cleared my throat, ignored her question, and let loose my own. Enjoying the music? In a happy coincidence, Ivor took a risk at that moment and went for a very high note. He missed and his voice cracked. So did one of the strings on his wooden throwbow. Oh my! I heard him cry over the laughter of those unhappy few still paying him any attention. Sumi blinked excessively, her perpetual smile threatening collapse. I think I am appreciating Ivor's interpretations she said, then gratefully accepted the mugs and a small octagonal game board. I noticed the game board was all of stacked oak and made a mental note to ask about it later. Winds, had she called it? The thought faded quickly once I noticed Kalko looking down at me, one hand still on the keg of snowberry mead. I smiled, trying to emulate the attractive cheer of Sumi, and went back to polishing the dimpled glass mug. Bread and cheese, she said to me. Kalko's voice was terse, but not unkind, clear, but expectant. Why? I immediately regretted questioning my new boss's request, but remained curious. What was done was done. If she would scold me for my insolence, then so be it. Kalka shrugged, and, with a dramatic roll of her wrist, answered by gesturing towards our minstrel. Then she turned to address a dwarf with a ragged beard at the bar. That's it for me, merry friends, cried Ivor, to scattered applause. I shall return after dinner service for more tunes. Anon, anon, merry friends, anon, anon. With numerous bows and genteel expressions that went ignored by his audience, Ivor leaned the neck of his sad-looking therobo against the wall and trod from the little corner stage. He slipped past the many polished tables of the common room, dodged patron after patron, and arrived at the bar. There was little to distinguish our minstrel from any other man who stumbled into the green crow, save his massive dwarf-like beard. The rest of him was plain as any other continental mutt, 
skin the color of freshly brewed black tea, plain features, an unmarked red tunic, and an average build. He could have been anybody. My, the fire is warm tonight, he panted and pressed himself against the bar. A woman, who had also been leaning against the bar, turned away from him, pewter mug in hand, and marched towards a rocking chair set near the fire. It had gone out long ago, with only a few embers left to remind us of what it had been. Certainly, I said. Perhaps we should open the windows. I looked left to where the common room ended. There was the archway to the courtyard that separated the two wings of the inn. Next, I looked across the scantily filled tables of the common room, then to my right. There was the other door, which would take one to the generous porch of the inn. The windows were already open, yet the man refused to stop panting and sweating. "'My bread and cheese,' said Ivor. I squinted at him. He smiled back, his left eye quivering a bit. "'Oh, yes,' I practically shouted. "'Anything to wet the whistle, as they say. Some black wine, perhaps? A little malt or spirits?' "'No!' Now it was our minstrel's turn to shout. He sounded scandalized. "'And put my instrument at risk!' I looked at his lonely Thorobo across the room, then saw him gesturing daintily across his throat. Certainly, of course, I apologize. Bread and cheese. And with a knock on the bar, something I'd always wanted to do, I hurried round through the doorway to the little kitchen. Furrier was there, counting potatoes or something on his brown-green digits, as I gathered a wooden board to top with a dark loaf and whatever cheese I could scrounge up. He won't drink. Kalka's voice caused me to jump with an, ah! Such was my state. I hadn't seen her behind the chef's table in the center part of the kitchen. She didn't look up, says it damages his voice. I put the bread back on the board. Apparently my scare had detached the loaf from its place, composed myself, and said, He isn't wrong. Many instructors at the capitals will say as much. In fact, it isn't just alcohol, but any drink. Calco was walking away. Go on, then. Fourier's husky voice barely carried through the kitchen. He stared at me from his seat with curious deep eyes. They put me on guard, though I'd say that it was more my fault than his. I'd never known a troll before. Being a man of the capitals, born and raised amid the splendor of those three citadels, I had seen all manner of upright folk, dwarves from the break all the way to the homes, and men from the palaces of the Gindi to the quaint villages of the coastmen. But trolls, that tall and garish brood, were only new come outside their bogs. They were changing, some said. No longer were they lumps of tusk and flesh huddled under bridges, but they now contended amongst the other people of the continent. Dawson! Ferrier's voice snapped me back to the kitchen. What? Go on with your story, he said. I was thinking about taking on a singing career and I need all the advice I can get. I have to... Without finishing my sentence, I scurried off to deliver the platter to our minstrel. I was not familiar with trolls, no, but I somehow knew Furrier was smiling at my back. I hustled past the shelving full of root vegetables and other groceries, past the cooling white stone oven, through the kitchen doorway and around the corner of the gorgeous bar. It took some effort to pry my eyes from its polished glory, but when I did, several things happened. I took notice of a meaty, hairy arm that had suddenly become something of a clothesline between the bar itself and the back of the bar. Simultaneously, it registered in my mind that I would not be able to dodge this. I tried anyway. The result was bread and cheese high in the air, and me on the floor. The arm remained in place, reaching for a tap. At least, it remained until Kalka raced over like a forest creature towards the scraggly bearded dwarf from before. You! No freebies! She shouted as she smacked the Dwarfman's still outstretched arm with a broom she'd have produced from the ether, apparently. Ouch! cried the rascal, who slipped down from his stool and raced towards the eastern door holding his thracked arm. Sue me! bellowed Kalka. The little dwarf woman dashed, tray of goblets still in hand, and in a feat of astounding dexterity, slipped and tripped the escapee with her foot. He tumbled and crashed, head first, into the solid green door that was his target. 
The door was just starting to open when he did, so Sumi, in one motion, returned to her feet with barely a wobble and opened the door for the new arrival. The tray remained over her shoulder. In walked a small figure, small for mannish averages, in a thrillingly red cloak trimmed with gold. They stepped gingerly over the downed thief. Back at the bar, and perhaps not so gingerly, Kalka stepped over my prone body as she stomped over to give the rascally dwarf a lesson in consequences. And where is my bread and cheese? declared Ivor. I simply must have. I looked up in time to see his meal make a messy crash, landing into his impressive beard. Ivor's whole body quivered in stunned silence. From the kitchen doorway came a deep guffaw. No, <laughs> that's the way, said Furrier. He shook his head and, still laughing, turned back into the kitchen. The common room would hear no more of Ivor singing tonight. Our mysterious figure, the one with the exquisite cloak, slowly made their way to the bar and looked around uncomfortably. Welcome to the Green Crow Inn, I shouted from the floor. This has been The Green Crow Inn by Derek A. Kamal, read by Kalman Friedman, with music by Michael Elliott. To find out more, including how to purchase your copy of the novel, please visit shorelessskies.com.